Welcome to Hunston Unicorns, the sales leader's playbook. I'm Simon Kutis and I'm joined by my co-host, Oli Kune. Hey everyone. And it's an absolute pleasure to be joined today by Graham Moreno. Graham, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Welcome to the show, Graham. Um, absolute pleasure and delight to have you on today. Really, really looking forward to this one. Yeah, thanks guys. I'm excited to, excited to chat. Hopefully it's useful for everyone. Absolutely, absolutely. By way of an introduction, you're currently RVP Central, Southeast and LATAM at Grafana Labs. Um, it's, it's an incredible, incredible trajectory um, at Grafana Labs and we are obviously going to spend quite a lot of time talking about the journey from 30 to 1,000 in three and a half years. But just going back a little bit, because obviously, you know, a lot of this... Uh, uh, a considerable amount of your success does come from you really interpreting a lot of your, your, your understanding of the playbook and your first exposure of that was obviously a few years ago now back at MongoDB. So just tell us a little bit about you know, your first exposure, your first experience to the playbook. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think, so I got to Mongo in 2016. Uh, Carlos Dilatore was a big part of bringing me in and obviously he's had a tremendous amount of success and been on the show and I think from my perspective, I started my career in, in infrastructure sales at Oracle, which is a little bit more of an old school sale. And certainly there's some really good salespeople there, but Mongo is the first time that I think I got a real education in, in what being great as sales looked like. And not just how to be great, but how to measure greatness from PG to discovery to how you're doing different transitions at different points in the conversation. Uh, and I remember being overwhelmed and intimidated. I think within a couple of weeks, I went to QBRs and uh, at the time we were small enough that everyone did leadership QBRs together and it was just extraordinary to see a lot of people who are now either like in VC, like Liam Mulcahy or Sean Andrew, who's the CRO of Heap, or like all of these people who were just so talented in a room talking about their business with this incredible understanding, not just of what was happening and what was going to happen, but the different knobs to tweak. And I think very early on at Mongo, I realized that I had an opportunity to, if I leaned into it, 10x how good I was at selling. Um, and I think certainly just the amount of rigor that their enablement program has, like Jeremy Powers, who's now leading sales himself at Gretel, was our head of enablement at the time and just put together a phenomenal program. Um, and I really do think both in terms of the playbooks, so MedPick, Command of the Message, working with force management, but also just in general, seeing how the pieces were put together was a hugely formative experience um, and definitely one that has informed a lot of what we do at Grafana, both things that we have taken and done the same with and things that we chose to do differently based on our experience. So it's yeah. been, it was really good. It's, it's interesting because you obviously started in a bit of a leadership kind of role at Mongo, taking on the, um, the, the, the S, an SDR team. You, you obviously had a lot of success, but then you actually transitioned out of more of a leadership role into more of an IC and then kind of bounced back into leadership a bit later on. So just tell us a little bit about that kind of your, your thoughts around that. Yeah, good question. You know, I think uh, from a personality perspective, I'm definitely someone who enjoys building and enjoys putting pieces together. And I think I get a lot more satisfaction from my job when I'm working for people or through people versus just being an IC. And I think at Mongo, going into the SDR leader role was a great experience. Like we were growing really fast at that point. I got, it got me exposure to people like John McMahon, like Carlos, like Jesse Green. But I think at the same time, I realized that I 
A, had a lot to learn as a seller and a lot more that I could do and a lot more that I wanted to do. And I think I, frankly, am not the most uh, patient person. And I think the the SDR leadership role, like there's people who are amazing at it and it's such a critical role, but it just probably wasn't the best fit for my skill set. So then got back into being an IC role. Um, and again, I know you've had Sahir and Dave and all these people on to talk about it, but that was as Mongo was spinning up Atlas, which has become this huge revenue monster for them. And I think it was really fun to get to be part of the first two years of selling that um, and just seeing that evolve. And again, I think teaching sales development is great because it forces you to be very prescriptive about like pipeline generation and discovery and the pieces of the playbook that go into early stage deal creation and validation. Um, but then getting to go be a part of the whole cycle at Mongo for two years, I think in retrospect was really, really it's good. It's absolutely incredible journey. And obviously now on to Grafana Labs, which leads us nicely into to really, you know, the, the topic of, you know, where, where we really wanted to focus, which is where you are now at Grafana Labs, obviously taking it from 30 to a thousand employees in, you know, as little as three and a half years is, is an incredible, um, success story. Um, so tell us a little bit about that journey, where it started and where we are today. Yeah, it's been it's been a ride. And I think you both have heard me say this in some of our previous conversations. I wish I could be like, yeah, I knew exactly what was going to happen. Uh, no, right? Like you join a company at 30 people and you are excited and hopeful, but it's been you know kind of beyond my wildest dreams. Um, and, you know, I joined Grafana largely because of the founders, like the founders in the tech, uh, Matt Toback is amazing, still on the team, he's our VP of culture now. And he was really early on, I knew him from a past life. And over a couple of conversations with him and with Raj Dutt, who's our CEO, came to really believe in what they were talking about and sort of the vision that they had for the space. And it felt a lot to me like Mongo in terms of great open source company, amazing community involvement, a ton of enthusiasm for the tech and doing it in a novel way that was defensible against a lot of the big incumbents, right? Oracle and Mongo's case, Microsoft, IBM, and then in the observability space, there's Splunk, there's Datadog, there's a lot of great companies. So feeling like there was this novel angle that had a lot of traction was really appealing. Uh, and at the time they had almost $5 million in revenue no salespeople, no customer success people. It was like a team of very like extraordinarily talented engineers. Um, and I just remember sitting at a bar with Raj and saying, I, you know, I, I think there's the opportunity to do something really amazing here. And he was like, I do too, but like candidly, I'm not a sales guy. Um, and so after a couple of months I joined and it's really been incredible, right? Like I think you go in and it's funny to look back three and a half years ago and think about the deals that we were celebrating that were now deals that would barely move the needle. And let's look to look at the fact that there was really no process. They did have Salesforce, which was nice. Um, but I think in the early days, there's just, so, you're doing everything, right? You're trying to figure out what patterns are across deals. You're trying to figure out what uh, an ICP looks like, who champions are, who coaches are, what are the blocking points that prevent deals from happening? Uh, and then kind of like scaling that through a thousand people, uh, it's surreal looking back. Cause I think it went from, there's no process, like do whatever you need to, to get revenue in, in terms of like different use cases, different people we're talking to. And then over time we were able to really hone in on what an ideal profile looks like and begin to focus on that in a way that's allowed us to scale. Um, but it's almost indescribable how different the early days are. Like Chris Deegan did a really good podcast recently talking about that at Snowflake. And I thought he put it well where early on 
you're basically acting as a PM because 100% of the feedback between the field and engineering is going from me, who, like, title aside, when you have zero salespeople, you are effectively a salesperson. So I was selling as much as I was doing anything else, um, but then was able to walk across the virtual office and go talk to our VP of product or one of our lead engineers, which I think was a really amazing feedback loop early on and informed a lot of how I do discovery now just by getting made fun of when I put my foot in my mouth, which was often. <laughs> what was the moment when you realized, wow, there's something special here? I feel like I've had one of those every six months. I, I didn't get like the first time that I was, I, that, <laughs> that I had that moment. I was talking to Raj and this is before I worked there or anything. And I was like, Hey, what, you know, what's your revenue? And he was like, oh, it's around $5 million. And I was like, oh, like how, how many salespeople do you have? And he was like, oh, zero. And I was like, customer success people? And he was like, zero. And I was like, how do you get revenue then? And he was like, oh, well, contact us forms come in and me and Matt send an email. And I was like, one email? And he was like, I sometimes two, man, I don't know. And I just remember sitting there and being like, let me just walk you through this, Raj. You just told me that you have more or less $5 million in revenue no sales, like no salespeople, no real go-to-market team, and your source of leads is contact us forms that you send an email to. And he was like, correct. And I was like, what's your renewal rate? And he was like, like 98%. And I was just like, yeah, I don't believe you. And he pulled up Salesforce and showed me, and I was dumbfounded. Because like, on top of that saying a lot about that, like how hard Matt and Raj and the rest of the team were working, um, it said a lot about the product and the level of enthusiasm and just like the amount of traction it had. So I think that was the first genuine, like, oh man, this is amazing moment. Um, and then there's been inflection points, right? Like the first million dollar deal was a really big moment because it was from a bank with a ton of major security. And I think that was just a really good validation event. And then when we did multiple million dollar deals in a quarter, that was a big moment. And then when we did our first, $5 million TCV deal. And now we're pushing 10. And like, I think that in each of those inflection points, you have one of them and everyone is like, was that an accident? Is it going to happen again? And then once it becomes normal and like the, what was once something that you were reaching for becomes sort of pedestrian, I think you can kind of look at that and be like, wow, this is insane. And like, we had a quarter recently where we did, I'm not going to say an exact number, but call it slightly less than 10, seven figure deals in a quarter which was insane because prior to that, doing one or two of those in a year would have resulted in rapturous celebrations. So I think it's like, it's hard to pick one moment, but certainly there have been a lot of inflection points. Um, I think a lot of it too, is just looking at the talent around. Like, Ollie, I know, I know you've got a kick out of this, but I do kind of wake up every day and feel like today's gonna be the day that I'm on, that I'm found out and I, they realize that I'm a fraud and I just get up and try to, run as hard as I can for 10 hours or 12 hours or whatever, right? To, to put off the realization that I don't actually belong here. And I think as we get bigger and as the talent level that we bring in becomes so absurd, like I have probably one or two meetings a day where I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, dude, they don't have any idea that I am a dog riding a bicycle, but here we are. Um, and I think, I think that that like in the right context, that's motivating, like pl plenty of, therapists and mentally healthy people would probably tell you that's not a great perspective to live life through, but it, it's high, it's high productivity for sure. And I think like, it's cool at Grafana to wake up at a thousand people more or less and to not only really like a lot of the people, which doesn't need to matter, but it's great. Like we have an amazing group and I'm really proud of them, 
but to also just look around some of the people and be like, wow, you are really, really good. And like, it's almost fun to just get to watch what you do. That's kind of fun. It was the other part, which I think you mentioned, which is, you know, talking about um, Jay and this, you know, founder led sales um, and then really taking that into, you know, simplification. Um, tell us about that journey of how you take a, a founder led sales sales process and then turn that into um, a sales process that anybody can learn and simplifying it. That's a really good question. I'll tell you when I have the answer fully baked out. I think, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's <clears throat> the power of like what makes Grafana amazing from a user perspective is pretty, like truly you can do almost anything with it. And I think like Raj is, Raj is awesome. And when he, <clears throat> when he talks about Grafana, it's hard not to want to give us money, but then that goes for VCs. Clearly it goes for customers. But I think with just the level of understanding and knowledge he has, you like early on, I would just sort of sit there and watch him and Matt Toback and like Tom Wilkie. And most of these folks are technical leaders, right? But are, who are really passionate and who in some cases have pretty big platforms at places like KubeCon or different events around the industry. And even though I certainly can't talk as technically as them, you could pull out common themes, right? And like things that would really resonate with people. And so if someone is leaning into this idea of consistently being able to consistently project costs and not have to pick and choose data that you're collecting based on how it's charged for, or if someone is leaning into the impact on troubleshooting time that being able to look at everything in a single panel versus tabs is like being able to go and say, Hey, like I saw that people perked up when you said that, why or how, or why does that matter? And start to basically do internal discovery with our technical leaders and get an understanding of what, what the why behind the why was, right? So then being able to say, oh yeah, people are reacting to that because a common troubleshooting workflow is this. And here are all the frustrations with that. And here's how what we're doing solves for that. And like in that way early on, being able to take what was in their brains, which was amazing, but frankly, like not repeatable, certainly to me, uh, and I think a lot of salespeople, and trying to distill that into a couple of like, okay, for this product, here are the areas that we know we're stuck, that we're selling on, where we can influence required capabilities this way. We're able to go validate that predictably and get X amount of deals at Y size. And at that point you start to create a predictable revenue engine. But I think honestly, that simplification process has taken, has taken time and there's been iterations of it because early on it was, we have five to 10 sellers over the course of a year. And we're trying to get just the basics that we can go repeat over and over again. And then as use case, like a lot of, we've been fortunate to have some of our best customers drive a lot of our kind of understanding of how to evolve the product, which I think is great because you're seeing these companies, whether they're big banks or big tech companies or high growth gaming companies or whatever it might be, go and sort of identify different requirements that are meaningful to them that are applicable across an entire segment. Um, but I think that was, a hugely iterative process because then we go and do boot camps, right? And see three, six months in, like what was effective? What were people struggling with conceptually? How do we boil it down more or do we change it entirely? Um, and you know, early on it was myself and Eldon, who was our first, he calls himself the janitor. Um, and I mean, he can basically do anything, so that's not far off, but I think it was just three or four of us that were kind of iterating on this and throwing together boot camps. And now there's an entire 
uh, enablement team and teams that are actively interviewing customers to try to pull all of this data out, which is amazing. But I think being able to just constantly be iterating on that and trying to look for patterns and then apply them has been a really, really important part of our success. I think obviously it's it's really evident that it is an incredible company that you're part of, but the the whole concept of Hunters and Unicorns is built on the premise that great companies doesn't, well, good technology doesn't necessarily make a great company. And obviously, whilst there is huge potential, there's obviously still been, it still required the right people to really drive that strategy forward. So I suppose, you know, it's been quite a ride. You know, you, you've been there through the various stages, what can you tell us about what the different stages have been and what the challenges have been and how you've had to adapt yourself at those various stages of growth? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, I mean, I think, I think I'd break it into about like four acts, so to speak, because like when I got in employee 30, right? 32, probably the first year was just us doing as much as we could and taking notes and trying to find the patterns. And it was, was fortunate to have a number of folks join me from Mongo. So who had the playbook, who had the DNA, who were able to speak in the same language. And I actually think that was really helpful because you had people who had strong PG fundamentals, knew how to do discovery, and we were all using the same words. And so we were able to go out and say, all right, like for, we're seeing this pattern in banks. Is that pattern applicable in advertising tech? Like if yes, great. If no, so then we have a banking specific conversation. But I think it really was in that stage, trying to balance responding to the existing demand, because there was so much demand that was coming in that wasn't necessarily being responded to in a way that was optimizing that, um, which was great. But that was a that was a period where we were trying to find patterns and trying to figure out what the playbook could be at Grafana as it fit into MedPick, as it fit into command of the message. And then at around a hundred people, we started to <clears throat> bring in larger hiring classes, kind of have enough of a playbook for success that we were like, all right, we give you these 20 to 30 accounts. We have a high degree of confidence based on the ICP we've put together, based on the coaches and champions that we've learned to identify predictably across accounts that you're going to be able to go be successful within a year, right? And then... The third phase was looking at those people and being able to say, great. So we started to break in to these accounts and now there's an opportunity for, to some people, for some people to have three or five accounts that they're going to go extract two, three, five million dollars a year out of where it's less about, so like new logo acquisition is incredibly important. And I thought Dean made a really good point that even a $30,000 deal becomes an expansion opportunity later. But I do think the third phase for us was having enough strategic accounts that were spending a lot of money to start to really focus in on how we engage them and how we make them successful and to have it because like the thing that I love even now and this is both about people and product but like our founders are really really dedicated to being customer first and Raj talks a lot about being long-term greedy and I think we brought in a really good unit to kind of execute on that and then go to market side. So like Dave Kranowitz is our head of global sales and Dave is amazing. Like Dave is the strongest cultural leader I've ever seen. And I think that's a lot of what Grafana's success is based on. It's just like having a pretty atypically, uh, I'd say positive and productive culture on the go to market side. Um, 
But I think the third phase allowed us to start to do <clears throat> more strategic engagements, larger transactions, while still having people that were building out their books really laser focused on new logo acquisition. And so I think it went from the like acting as a PM, figuring out any pattern, to we have a pattern, now we're going to try to scale it until it breaks, to now we have an opportunity to go be strategic in some areas while focusing on new logo acquisition, particularly with newer reps. And I think the fourth segment that we're entering now, you know, kind of as we get into this uh, next stage of growth, is to start to break out competencies entirely. And like Snowflake did it by verticalizing it. Um, and candidly, I don't know exactly how we're going to do it. We're talking about a number of different ways, but I think we're now at a point that motions are specialized enough that having teams that are solely focused on those is going to make increasingly more sense. Whereas in the last two or three years, uh, I don't think we knew what that was. So it's just sort of like iteratively trying to get more and more focused in a way that allows us to both be most effective from a selling perspective, but also to serve our customers best. Because if someone is an RD for five or six strategic accounts, they're going to have a really good idea of how to engage those accounts and the right things to do and what the specific needs for these unusually large complex organizations are versus a commercial organization where you do great deals. It's super critical, but by design, the revenue is a little bit more transactional just because the org charts are a lot less complex. It's, it's an absolutely, it's such a great insight, um, Graham. Thanks so much for sharing that. There's something I just want to go back to, which is obviously talking about the culture and being able to protect a culture at such a high velocity. You know, how do you go from 30 to 1,000 and protect the culture of an organization? Like dumb luck's probably not the answer you're looking for. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think we, I think early on you can be super intentional. Um, and I think now, and it's like, it's in some ways a bummer to say this. I think now like big motions or like sort of moments in time mean more because people don't have an opportunity to see the little things day in and day out across the board. Early on, um, our leadership, engineering, go to market, like everyone would get in the boat and like everyone talks about team selling, but I've never seen more engineers, PMs, like whoever needs to get involved in a cycle to make the customer happy will. And we established that culture really early on and it's just kept being that way. And I think a lot of it comes from like our leaders actually living, like sort of walking the walk, right? Where our VP of product, I feel like every other week is in San Francisco or New York or Chicago or somewhere at a customer meeting. And he's based in the UK. Um, and just a really incredible amount of involvement. And so I think there was that. I think there was, like, I think early on me and then Dave Kranowitz when he joined about eight months after me, uh, he very much doubled down on this, which is like creating a culture where sales is super appreciative and understanding of the fact that none of us are able to get our job done. If legal, if deal desk, if SEs, if marketing, like all these amazing groups that we work with and partner with to drive revenue, uh, have to be kind of in lockstep with us. And I think the way that you do that is by developing good relationships and making sure that there's sort of open and honest communication. But the, I think we've all been or heard about places where maybe uh, those organizations didn't operate super healthily together. And I think we've done a good job of that here and it's not perfect by any means, but I think having that early on just sort of created this culture of openness and trust. And like, as we've gotten bigger, I think there is like Roshni, who's our VP of solutions or rather customer experience, will like ping me in a channel and say, hey, like, are you on this? Can you like get in, get involved here? 
And it's just great to have that. And I think at around 100 people kind of talking in terms of the acts, culture takes off. And like, no matter how much you talk about it, it sort of takes a mind of its own. And I think we were fortunate to bring in people like Dave, people like Roshni early on who do walk and have always walked the walk in a way that makes it really easy for people to look up the line of leadership and just follow that behavior. Um, and we've made some tough decisions in, in the name of culture. Like we had a, a situation a couple of quarters ago where uh, ultimately one of our top executives made a call. And like in, in that discussion, it was a tough series of conversations, but they just said, listen, like I, you know, I get the counterpoints being made, but I'm never going to put uh, revenue before culture. And so like we made what I would call a tough call that I don't think would have gotten made at a lot of places that I've been and heard about uh, in the name of culture. And I do think stuff like that at this scale is, is like how you earn people's trust that that's something that we mean. Um, but certainly it's been iterative. And now I think a lot of it is just trying really intentionally to make sure that um, you know, as we get bigger, that people who have a lot of visibility are thoughtful with how they use words and thoughtful with how they choose to choose to act. Um, but I think that started early on with just a really sincere desire to not have a company that was siloed or where different, different organizations got into wrestling matches politically. Well, you talk about hiring good people at the wrong time as well. I think this is something that you're obviously quite, um, you know, open about. So just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's different there's different reps that are amazing at different stages, right? And I think a mistake that I made early on, um, and that I hope to not make again, but probably will, it was that we we hired really amazing sellers that were not stage appropriate. And so, like, a version of that is that when we had, you know, 50 to 100 people and we're making all of our own collateral and we're trying to identify patterns and talk to products and build boot camps. Like the sort of evangelical sale, like you almost have to be a startup person more than a salesperson at that stage because you're not just doing sales. You're doing enablement and you're doing... I'll preface this with bad PM work, right? Like every PM out there is laughing, hearing a salesperson say you do PM work, but like we were communicating with product and trying to iterate on that. And so someone who might be great at deal management and might be great at putting together a deal and drawing from different budgets groups and going and connecting value to different segments, but is used to a strong support structure, right? If they're used to having a marketing partner or a couple of SDRs, they're gonna go into that environment and be like, what on earth is this? This is my worst nightmare. Like I have seven people supporting me to do the stuff that you're asking me to do. And so I think in the early stages, you needed these people who were willing to do everything and were incredibly analytical about what was what the outcome was of different, different efforts because ultimately you only have 100% to give. So if you're not, like if you're putting in 10% and only getting three back, then you probably need to be tweaking that. And then I think at the second stage, you needed people who were, and we will always need these people, but like PG is so important. And there's a huge difference between doing PG as if it's some sort of prison sentence and like loving it and leaning into it and having fun with it. And I think the more you have people that are having fun with it and that genuinely like it, the easier it is for people that might not love it to get into it a little bit. And I think... In that second stage, we definitely needed, we had to heavily over-index on those people. 
And so again, like I think we made some mistakes where you have people as things become more structured who maybe like the unstructured piece and who love putting it together but don't necessarily enjoy it once it's more structured. And like, so some of those folks naturally cycle out. Um, I think the people who are PG animals who are willing to evolve how they sell and who are open to learning, you know, like if you're great at PG and you love landing new logos, that can sort of make you a little bit transactional. But I think there's a lot of really good sellers who can do both, who can start, who are comfortable hunting and breaking into a territory, but then ultimately know how to get into different groups and have different conversations relative to what's going to be valuable and ultimately run a strategic book. But I think we really went to try to find a lot of those people in the second phase. And now in the third phase, we're just getting to the point. And like, these are some of my favorite reps to talk to. Um, and like, I think, you know, Mongo has a ton of them who I, who I really, really respect. But where we're looking for people who can go extract 10, 15, $20 million out of an account. And that's a totally different type of motion, right? Because that is like deep understanding of the strategic priorities of the company outside of what we're selling, right? It's just understanding all of them and who the players are and understanding authority versus influence and really being so kind of sewn into an account um, that a lot of these people have been badged at a number of their previous companies. And I think we're now at the point that some of our reps are evolving into that, which has been awesome. Um, and we're going to start to bring in more and more people like that because now we have the support structure and the revenue base to go build some of these really large strategic relationships. Um, but I think at any point you could bring in an amazing person for any of those stages at the wrong time and they'll look like a fish out of water because relative to their skill set, they are. And I think like one of the really tough things about growing the way we have is there's been a number of people who we love who uh, have either you know chosen not to, like we get to a different phase and they're like, you know what, I really liked those previous two, I'm gonna go back to that. Um, or when you're growing this quick, I think some people just get tired. Um, and so that's been tough. Like that's been a, the other hard side of the growth is just some people who we really love and care about cycling out. But uh, from a phasing perspective and just what, what we've seen, that's definitely been the Grafana experience. It was pretty similar, honestly, to what we saw at Mongo too. Where like some of the, some of the folks they have there that are doing enormous transactions for them might not have been super happy when we had 400 people and were uh, hitting the phones pretty hard. So obviously, you've been with the organization now for, you know, almost since 30 employees, obviously quite early on. How have you had to change yourself and what challenges have you experienced personally and what have you learned from them? I mean, I'm, I'm totally just going to steal Deaton's talk track because I thought it was really good. I think some of it is that I am constantly, like back to the constant fear that I'm going to get found out for being a fraud. I think that's part of it. I think being really willing to, like, I, I love feedback. I think feedback from people who, like, I'm fortunate to be, to have been at companies like Mongo, Mongo and Grafana have been companies full of people much better than me and who know a lot more than me and who I have a lot to learn from. And I think I just try really hard to be a sponge. Um, and so on a personal or like a professional level, taking, taking feedback, not holding on too tight to assumptions. Uh, I think learning how to have productive disagreements, like certainly when I was, I'll say younger, but I think it probably had as much to do with just experience and maturity. Like I have learned to communicate a lot more effectively in my time at Grafana because as we've gotten bigger, it is so important that 
you're bringing teams with you or that even if you disagree, you're able to do it in a way that is opening up a productive conversation. And I don't think I was always awesome at that early on. And I think that's something that like through a number of people who've been you know, sort of generous enough to be really honest with me, I've had an opportunity to evolve that. Because I think if you look at the most effective selling teams at Mongo and certainly at Grafana, it's the teams where customer success and pro-serve and engineering and solutions engineers and marketing are all on board and working together. And there's a really good environment that allows them to put the best possible product forward, both in terms of like how we're managing accounts and how we're engaging with them, but also just in terms of how we're sharing knowledge and what we're able to bring to the table to our customers as a result. Um, and so I'd say like the, a big piece of it has just been constantly being willing to reevaluate what we're doing, how we're doing it. Is it working? What, what do we need to get to the next phase, the next category of deal? And then I think a lot of it too has just been like, we've been really fortunate to have leaders who were able to scale with the business. Like Dave Kranowitz has been here for, you know, coming up on three years, Roshni, Doug Hanna, who's our COO has been here for coming up on, actually, I think he, he's about to be at three and a half as well. And so I think having people who've been here through the whole transition, who have all evolved themselves and have all had to scale themselves, just has created a group that has, I think, a lot of empathy, but also is just pretty good at communicating and kind of both solving problems. Like we were on a call at 8 p.m. on a Friday recently because a customer had an issue and our COO was on, our VP of product was on, our head of customer success. So it was like a great, just an amazing group of people that dropped what they were doing across the world to go make sure that this customer who's an important customer for us was getting what they needed. And I think as we've gotten bigger, that being such a big piece of our culture has made a lot of this really easy and does, I mean, we talk about does the hunter make the unicorn or the opposite. I think Grafana, the tech is good enough that it would have been an amazing company no matter what, but I don't think we'd be where we are without the people. I think this is the point where we really kind of reflect on what we've spoken about and what we've heard today, Graham, because it has been, you know, a really incredible journey and you're obviously someone that's very very humble I think throughout every you know throughout the, the conversation it's it's evident that you've never seen yourself as the finished article I think at every stage you've been willing to really kind of put yourself and immerse yourself in the various challenges and really just be present with it and really just work out what needs to and I think that requires a lot of self-reflection but I also think at the very core of that is is, is the point you made about kind of living and breathing that I suppose there is that inferiority complex, but it but it's not inferiority complex. It's being self-aware enough to realise that I have to be better and I have to, you know, I have to keep on, you know, growing and developing and and, and not many people can survive the various acts of the of the evolution of a company that's going through such an aggressive um, expansion. But I think that's a real testament to you and I think, you know, it's really amazing to see someone that is so passionate about what the journey you're on and, and, and you've obviously found an organisation that can really um, you know, bring the best out of you. So just want to say a massive thank you for you taking the time to speak with us today. It's been truly great spending time with you uh, today. I'm, I'm sure our listeners and our viewers have taken lots from it. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Um, and yeah, certainly, I think I... I've made too many mistakes to think of myself as the finished article. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we're a ways off from that. Um, but I really appreciate the time. This has been really fun. Uh, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully some folks took something useful out of it. Absolutely. I'm sure they will. Graham, you're a great guy, mate. Um, really do appreciate your time. 
the audience can absolutely love this. Lots of you know nuggets of wisdom. So again, really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing some time in your busy schedule just to sh- just share some of that wisdom with us. So thanks ever so much. But to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. And please do um, hook up with us on our various um, social media platforms and from LinkedIn, Spotify, iTunes, um, and obviously YouTube. Um, but please do stay in touch. Please do stay tuned in. And we look forward to welcoming you back for another episode soon. Thank you.